The reading today can be found on page 969 in the Church Bibles. That's 969. And it's taken from Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, please keep teaching us from your word. Show us what we need to see. Impress on our hearts how we need to change. And by your spirit, equip us to do so. We pray all this in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Please do be seated. A reminded there of the uh, translator code, should you need that this morning. We are all big, fat liars. I don't know if you're expecting me to start with something like that this morning. We are all big, fat liars. At least so says the mentalfloss.com website. <clears throat> In a piece of research from the mid-2000s, this is what they said. By age four, 90% of children have grasped the concept of lying. And it just gets worse from there. 60% of adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. In fact, the average was three lies during that brief period. We lie to everyone. Our parents get the worst of it, with 86% of us lying to them regularly, followed by friends, 75%, siblings, 73%, and spouses, 69%. Hence their conclusion, we are all big, fat liars. But as Christians, right, we don't need such modern research to tell us uh, what we already know, to qualify a truth that has been known for centuries, do we? We know, as Jeremiah reminds us, that the heart is deceitful above all things and it is sick. We also know, as Jesus himself taught, that out of the abundance of that heart, the mouth speaks. And we know that lying is part of our fallen humanness. And actually all we need to do is to, you know, just obey God, keep his commandments, not to lie, not to promise anything in his name that we can't deliver on, and then we can move on, right? Uh, actually, no. 
Not so fast. In today's reading, Jesus is still on the hill. He's still preaching his most famous sermon. He's gathered his disciples, the crowds, remember, are listening in, and once again he is using the same refrain, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And once again there are two other buts that any follower of Jesus, any disciple of Jesus needs to get their head around in order to faithfully follow him. So please, uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn back, if they're not already open, to Matthew chapter 5. It's page 969, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to deliberately pick it up at verse 33. We'll come back to verses 31 and 32 in a bit. So Matthew chapter 5 Uh, Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear at all. In other words, don't make an oath at all. And then if you go down to verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I have three main headings for us this morning. The principle of the law, the fudging of the law, and the application of the law. Firstly, as we think about how we speak in the kingdom, the principle of the law. And the principle of the law, Jesus teaches, is honesty. This is what God requires of his people. Internal honesty, external honesty, just just complete honesty. Now, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, none of the you-have-heard-it-said phrases that Jesus uses are actually said to correct the true or the, the accurate understanding of God's law. He is targeting either the distortion of the law or the, the misinterpretation of it. And some of it is subtle. But it does bear repeating that Jesus is not correcting, he is not changing his father's law. He is correcting the Pharisees' inaccurate interpretation of it. This is why he can say in verse 17, if we look back to verse 17 of chapter 5, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not contradicting um, God's law, I'm clarifying it because your teachers have got it wrong. So, what needs clarifying here? Back to verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. 
Now, this phrase is is not an accurate, direct quotation of of any single law, but it's actually quite an accurate summary of of several Old Testament instructions. That if if you swear an oath, if you make a promise or you take a vow, if you do that in the Lord's name, then you keep it. We see that in places like Exodus 20 and Leviticus 19 and and Numbers 30. But you might rightly say, why the qualification here of you have made to the Lord? Why that qualification, the vow you have made, the oath you have made to the Lord? Why is that singled out for a special mention? Well, two things to say. Firstly, uh, if you've noticed that, well done. It is significant. (laughs) But secondly... Be careful. We need to ask what our motivation is in asking the question. Because if it is to see whether we meet the external requirements of obeying the law and then we move on, satisfied that we've ticked the box, met the letter of the law, but paid scant regard to the spirit of it, then we can all too easily start down that slippery slope that the Pharisees travelled. So where were they getting it wrong, the Pharisees? Well, their thought process must have gone something like this. God's law says that we must keep the promises we make to him, or or we could say in his name. Okay, They're special. We must keep those ones. But the ones we make to others, the ones that aren't in his name, no, not so much. doesn't matter if we break those. Hmm. Do you see the danger? Remember what we were saying a couple of weeks ago? The Pharisees were working to lower the bar of each commandment so that it was easier to obey. And Jesus is having none of it. The principle of the law is total honesty to everyone in everything. And if you qualify the law like that, if you limit it, it's a massive fudge. So here's my second point. The fudging of the law. And the fudging of the law is deceit. Here's a visual aid for you. We've already had the the Holy Spirit glasses over the last few weeks, you know, which if we put them on, allow us to make sense of all that Jesus is teaching us, us here. You know, those Holy Spirit glasses, those HS glasses, they show us, they remind us that we're not talking about moral attainment or or strict just law keeping here to make us good enough. We're talking about a deeply honest assessment of the state of our sinful hearts. That's the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. That's the righteousness that needs to surpass that of the Pharisees. It's what Mike mentioned earlier. Remember verse 20, unless your righteousness, your ability to to look deep with these glasses, to look deep into your heart with Holy Spirit vision, unless that righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're certainly not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we've got the glasses, but here is the second visual age. Look for the fudge. Look for the fudge. Now, especially for those for whom English is not your first language, fudge may need explaining. (laughs) It's a funny word, fudge, isn't it? I love it, fudge, fudge. It's a word that Rowan Atkinson would say brilliantly. 
Apparently it comes, all right, we get it from a certain sea captain called Fudge, who in the mid-1600s became notorious for telling all kinds of tall tales, lies, exaggerations about his time and his adventures at sea. And so Fudge today has come to mean to, to mislead, to deceive, to exaggerate. And so, in a way, Jesus is saying time and again in this Sermon on the Hillside, look for the fudge. He's all about exposing the lies. He's all about exposing the tall tales or the exaggerations. He hates the pharisaical fudge. He hates the hypocrisy. And he's calling it out. So how exactly did the Pharisees fudge God's law on oaths and honesty? Well, they deceived themselves and they deceived the people by arguing that God's third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, was more concerned with the taking the name of the Lord part than it was with the in vain part. And so they had developed a whole range of alternatives. We see this in verse 34 through to 37. Take an oath, they suggested, or swear by heaven, by earth, or by Jerusalem. Take an oath or swear, they said, by your own head. In other words, let's fudge it, folks. As long as you don't take an oath, as long as you don't make a promise in God's name, you can break it. It's okay. This is the fudge. It's deceitful, and it's way wide of the mark concerning the principle of the law. And Jesus says no. Verse 34, But I tell you, Do not swear at all. Pharisees were up to their old tricks. They are trying to lower this bar so that they can say that they've obeyed. But do you know what? However hard you try and bring that bar down and try to remove God from the equation, you can't. Jesus says don't swear at all. Either by heaven for it's God's throne. Or by earth, for it's his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In other words, the whole world is God's. He created it. It's all connected to him. He's in control of it. Verse 36. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. None of us can change the colour of our hair naturally, can we? Or, indeed, how much of our hair we may have. It's all in God's control. What are the modern examples? I was trying to think of some in everyday speech that we might use to get people to trust what we say. Maybe you've heard, I swear on the Bible. Jesus would say, the Bible is God's word. Or what about, I swear on my mother's life. You might have heard that. Swear on my mother's life. But God gave 
your mother that life. He sustains her life. What about cross my heart and hope to die? Heard that one? But again, it's the Lord who gives life. It's the Lord who takes it away. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be pedantic about the law, let's get pedantic. Everything comes back to God. Everything. It's related to him. It's under his control. So actually, it's impossible not to swear by anything but God. He is, after all, the source of all truth. Maybe you're wondering how to apply all of this as we're sort of working our way through these verses. Well, Jesus tells us in verse 37, simply, he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything, everything beyond this comes from the evil one. Here's the application of the law. And it is integrity. It's integrity, absolute integrity. Jesus sees through the facade. He sees through the hypocrisy. He sees through the exaggeration. He sees through the lies. And he looks right into all of our hearts. And if you are poor in spirit, you'll get this. If your righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees, ancient or modern, you'll get this. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's all about integrity. How does this play out in practice? Let me ask you a question. Do you mean what you say? Do you follow through? Every day? In every situation, whether it's at home, work, family, church. Do you say you'll do something and then not do it? The promise to call. The promise to pay somebody back or return that borrowed item. The promise to be on time. The promise to get something important finished by a particular time for somebody. The promise to pray for someone or something. And if you're sat there trying to sort of reason or excuse these ones out like I try and do all the time, and you're trying to justify your lack of action by saying, well, I said I call... I said I'd pray. I didn't promise to call. I I didn't promise to pray. I just said I'd do it. Then you, like me, are exactly who Jesus is talking to this morning. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Let your word be good, good enough and honest enough without any embellishment or requirement to appeal to a higher authority. And I think this also affects our language as well. I mean, how many times do you hear people say ridiculous things like, to be honest, to be honest, I'm not sure I agree, implication, the rest of the time I'm I'm not really being honest. (laughs) Do we really need that qualification if simply our yes means yes and our no means no? Or what about a favourite of my lads a while back? I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie, that meal was great. 
NGL, Dad, I scored a great goal. Not going to lie. Implication? Hmm. You may be lying the rest of the time then, if it needs this qualification. Now look, this isn't just about the correct use of the English language, folks. Jesus is saying, simply, just let your yes be yes. And your no, no. What we say and what we do matters. So let's be men and women of integrity for the king. Let's mean what we say. Let's say what we mean. This is what followers of Jesus should aspire to do. To live lives full of truth and complete integrity. Now, I'm conscious that so far I've not touched on two fairly obvious and frequently um, asked questions that arise out of this passage of Scripture. They may well have come into your mind already today, so let me say a couple of things about them now as we move towards a conclusion. Here's the first. If Jesus says, don't take an oath at all, is it ever all right to make a promise in God's name? Maybe you've been thinking about that. Maybe you're thinking like in court. Or like I had to do in 1996. These are the words of an oath I made then. I, Jonathan Miller Teasdale, yes, that is my middle name. I'm I'm, I'm letting you in there. (laughs) I, Jonathan Miller Teasdale, swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs or successors, that I will, as duty-bound, honestly, faithfully defend Her Majesty, her heirs, successors, against, blah, blah, against all enemies, and so on and so on, and I'll obey the heir officers and other officers set over me. You can see which side of the uh, argument I fall down on, on, this, on this question, can't you? That was the oath of allegiance I took when I joined the Air Force. Here's another one I took more recently. I, Jonathan Miller Teasdale, swear by Almighty God that I will pay true and canonical obedience to the Bishop of Chester and his successors. And here's the important bit, in all things lawful and honest. So help me God. As I say, clearly you can see which side of the fence I come down on on this question of, is is it ever right to take an oath? But some sincere Christians think that what Jesus is teaching here means that we should never take any kinds of oaths whatsoever. And in many ways that is an admirable position. And maybe you hold to that view. But I think it kind of misses the mark. And if I may be so bold as to suggest it, I think that position may be closer to the legalistic approach that the Pharisees took. You see, for Jesus, honesty and integrity are what count all of the time. He wants us to be honest when we don't make oaths, and he wants us to be honest when we do make the more formal kind of oaths. He's just saying, just be honest all the time. This is why Anglicans can take the position we do on this. Article 39 of the Church of England's 39 Articles deals with this very issue. We believe that Christians can and should take oaths when required to do so by the proper authorities. Okay, on what basis, you may ask? What basis? Well, in the Old Testament, men were allowed to take oaths, and God doesn't appear to condemn that. And in the New Testament, we have the example of Jesus himself. 
He doesn't refuse to reply when the high priest puts him on oath under trial. So it can't be that oaths in and of themselves are the problem here. This is how the late John Stott helpfully sums it up. He says, what Jesus emphasized in his teaching was that honest men do not need to resort to oaths. It was not that they should refuse to take an oath if required by some authority to do so. Do you see that? Sometimes a valid external authority requires us to take an oath in court or at my RAF attestation or during the licensing of clergy and that is fine. Indeed socially and culturally There are some occasions when making a promise in God's name adds important emphasis. Exhibit one, marriage. Just think about a wedding ceremony, for example. There, a couple acknowledge God as a witness and they promise to do certain things. They promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better For worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. To love, to cherish and obey or worship till death they do part. And it all ends with these words, don't forget. According to God's holy law, in the presence of God I make this vow. And in so doing, the commitment to honour the special God-ordained relationship of marriage is recognised and it is affirmed. You may have been wondering when we were going to get back to verse 31 and verse 32. Well, it's here. You see, once again, Jesus gives us an example of something that has been fudged. Have a look back down to verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, No, actually. You can divorce as long as you obtain a certificate of divorce was never God's intention for marriage. It was a fudge. It was a lowering of the bar. What we do know about God's intention can be drawn from Genesis 2, right at the start of the Bible. Which says this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. One man, one woman, united together to the exclusion of all others, as Jesus says, for life. Now we do have to grapple with this a little bit and we're going to do a deeper dive on Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce when we encounter Jesus' expanded teaching on this subject in Matthew 19. Here we only get a couple of verses but it's expanded out in 19, in chapter 19. But let me just say a couple of things here. Firstly, Jesus is speaking into a culture, both Jewish and Roman, suffering from an epidemic of adultery and divorce. So lest we think that such things are a modern phenomenon, it would appear it was ever thus. So Jesus here is actually speaking into a culture very similar to ours in this regard. 
But secondly, remember the pattern. You have heard it said this, one level. But I say to you this, higher level, which should actually point you deep down in here, into the heart. Therefore, if Jesus is saying here, you have heard it said that you can get divorced, but I tell you that you can get divorced and remarry, it kind of goes against the flow of his rhetorical device that he's using consistently on the hill here, doesn't it? He's raising the bar here. And he's raising the bar to an absolute prohibition on divorce and remarriage for all those who will wear their Holy Spirit glasses. And so we must read it in context. And yes, it is hard. Especially in our culture. And yes, I need to be pastorally sensitive as I say these words from the front of church. But here's the thing. The clear teaching of Jesus is that divorce followed by remarriage is the same as adultery in God's eyes and it spoils his ideal. Now, please hear this, especially if you are divorced and remarried with us or watching online. Just as with the angry murderers. Just as with the lustful lookers. Just as with the insincere oath-takers. Just as with anyone for anything. There is forgiveness through the Lord Jesus. This is where the the high bar staring and, and the deep heart searching is meant to take us. Without him, we're nothing, we're done for. With him... We are saved. We will not be the perfect article this side of glory. But in his forgiveness and in his grace there is still happiness, there is still good, there is still fruitfulness to be enjoyed in a myriad of less than perfect situations and that includes getting remarried. But we need to be honest about what our Saviour is teaching here. And it is not God's ideal. And so a word to the married here who may be contemplating divorce. Please can I encourage you to do some things. Can I encourage you to pray? Can I encourage you to remember your word, your promise to commit in good times and bad? Can I encourage you to work at it, to let your yes be yes? Can I encourage you to lay aside selfish desire and seek the good of your husband or your wife? And if necessary, can I encourage you to be humble enough to get help and seek help? 
Michael or I would only be too willing to help you ourselves or point you in a direction where you could get help and get support. So please do just pick up the phone, get in touch by email, speak to one of us. As I say, we'll come back to Jesus' expanded teaching on marriage, divorce and remarriage in more detail when we get to Matthew 19. But for now, I hope you can see that there is a place for swearing an oath, whether it is in marriage, whether it is in the courtroom, whether it is in joining the military, or whether it is, it is in a licensing of clergy. And there is a place for it because it adds important, um, or it adds emphasis, if you like, to a special or important promise. But it is not a substitute It is not an excuse, therefore, for not telling the truth at all other times. So that's one question that may have come to mind this morning. We spent a long time thinking about it. You know, is it ever right to make an oath or to to take a vow? Here's the second question that may have come to mind. If Jesus says, don't swear at all, why do we see God take oaths and promises in the Bible? Isn't that a double standard? If we're not supposed to swear or take oath at all, well, it follows on from the other question in some ways. But perhaps Genesis 22 verse 16 may have come to mind when God says to Abraham, he says, I swear by myself, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. I swear by myself, God says. Does this sort of promise of God make him more credible? Or more trustworthy, just because he says, well, no, on this occasion I'm going to swear by myself, so that makes me, you know, you can trust me even more now. You couldn't trust me quite some more before. Not at all. The reason God makes such oaths and such promises is not so much that we can have confidence that he's telling the truth to us this time, but rather it is an acknowledgement that our natural sinful hearts are always inclined to disbelieve God. And so his promises, his emphasis, it's all designed to draw out the faith in us and to confirm our belief, to increase our faith in response. It's to encourage us. He can be trusted. Totally. And when we see that, it's wonderful. If you'd like to think more on this and and read more on this, can I recommend um, a couple of short reads to you, particularly as we're going through these few chapters on the Sermon on the the Mount, what we're calling the Sermon um, on the Hillside in some ways. But uh, both John Stott and Don Carson have written short, importantly short, but very accessible short, um, small commentaries on these passages of of Scripture, and I would recommend them to you. They're superb. In fact, there's a version available on Audible called Reading Through the Sermon on the Mount with John Stott. So if you subscribe to that, you would pick that up for free. Matthew 5, then. Matthew 5. Put on the Holy Spirit glasses that help you understand how to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, because then you will see The heart of the law. What it always demanded, what it still demands today, is total honesty. And then look for the fudge. 
Look for the fudge out there, but look more importantly for the fudge in your own heart. The fudge that encourages deceit. The, the fudge that encourages a lowering of, of the bar in all sorts of areas. And then go in his power to live lives of integrity to the glory of his name. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Because everything else comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as people who long to be kingdom people for you, we would ask that you would help us to be a people known for our honesty and our integrity. A people whose yes and no can be utterly relied upon and trusted. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is utterly reliable and trustworthy, whose yes is always yes and no always no. Please would you help us in this area of honesty and integrity. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.